0: This week, we're in John chapter 14, starting at verse 1. So if you have your Bible, go ahead, open it to there. John 14, starting at verse 1. While you are finding that, here is the crash course, Cole's Notes on the Gospel of John. It's all about Jesus. Say that. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him, and we've been so privileged to just take this close look at him for all these weeks, and where we are right now in this book of John is this super important place, chapters 13 through 17. It's one of the most amazing stretches of Scripture in the whole Bible, and we're just carving it out one bit at a time. It's happening at this juncture in Jesus' life where it's the night before he's going to go to the cross. His time is coming. He knows it's almost there, and he's meeting with his disciples they're in close, and he's giving them this super important parting message. You guys need to know all these things. Coincidentally, they're things that we need to know as well, things that are super incredibly relevant for these days that we're living in. So man, we are blessed to have this Word of God. And this morning, like I say, John 14, 1, what I would like for you guys to do Since we're in the participatory mood this morning, normally I just read it to you. I want us to all read it out loud together. And it's going to be on the screen here. So I want to hear you. Let's read it together. Take a deep breath. Here we go. I want to hear you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Keep it rolling. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Keep it going. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. One more, keep it going. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You sounded great. Give yourselves a hand. That was awesome. That was great. That was great. And Lord, come and speak to us through this word. Come and do a work in our hearts today, Lord. We don't want to just read the words on the page like it's some other book. We know this is the living word of God. And we long to meet with you and hear from you in it. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the deal, that verse that we just read or that section we just read, the very first verse in that sets the tone. It sets the context. Matter of fact, it's the first six words in that section of scripture. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. What you need to understand when you read that verse right here, that's setting up everything that's coming. Everything that we're about to read, we gotta filter it through that lens right there. Now, if we're being very honest, it's sometimes quite easy for our hearts to be troubled in this life, isn't it? Maybe it's that you look around at the state of the world and you see that there's violence and bloodshed and hatred and cruelty and corruption and there's global warming, and the ice caps are melting, and the economy's in the toilet, and and my stocks are going down, and the price of everything's going up, and that troubles you in your heart. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you look around at the state our culture is in through that, and you see, wow, it seems like every day that passes, the culture, the society at large, just gets further and further from God. It's crazy stuff going on, and that discourages you, that troubles you in your heart. Maybe for you, it's because you've got personal circumstances that are causing you to be troubled. You've got a health issue. You've got mental health struggles. You've got a relationship that is not going well. You've got financial woes. You've got whatever it is going on. And that's causing you to be troubled in your heart. I know I'm talking to at least a few people today in that description. Now, here's what Jesus is not saying He's not saying, never be sad. Never mourn, never grieve. It's not what he's saying. It's not a sin to do those things. Matter of fact, Jesus himself did all of those things. So therefore, we know it's not inherently, automatically wrong to do that. I'll give you an example. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he goes to the cross and he says, my soul is troubled even to the point of death. In other words, he's having a really hard time to understate it a lot for you. My soul is troubled even to the point of death. So, so what he's not saying, though, again, is never be sad. Here's what I'm gonna do. I brought a prop with me today. Hopefully, you at the back can read it. When Jesus is talking, oh, this is a thin marker. You guys are toast. You're done. You're done. If somebody wants to, Uh, there's this thing called Pastor Appreciation Month. It's in like October, but you could cash it in early and someone could get me a big, fat, smelly, Sharpie marker, okay? All right, all right. When Jesus is talking about your heart being troubled, I hope I have enough room. Sure I do. There you go. You can maybe read that or maybe not. If your heart is troubled, hey, watch this guy right here. Watch this, watch this. Look at this. Let's make sure it works. Oh, (laughs) thanks, John. He's got me. Get rid of that. See you later. (laughs) Oh, my land. When Jesus is saying, let not your heart be troubled, what he's talking about is when you get yourself into a state, when you have an issue and you are, oh, that's way better. That's like a million times better. When you get into an issue and you start dwelling on the problem and you remove God from the equation. I'll get out of this way. You can read this in a second. When God is removed from the equation and that issue starts to govern or rule over you, that's better, isn't it? Somebody say, that's better. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, let not your hearts be troubled. He says, don't get to the place where you're dwelling on an issue And it starts to govern you. You're up at night. You're worried about it. You're fretting. You're anxious. You're freaking out. And God happens to just be removed from that whole process. I'm going to take you back to that Matthew 26 scripture. Jesus is praying, my soul is troubled to the point of death. His almost next words out of his mouth. He's talking to the father and he says, yet not my will, but your will be done. He's right on with the father all through that. Okay, this is what Jesus wants for us to avoid when he says, let not your heart be troubled. When you have an issue, but you're doing this, there's no God, you're dwelling, it's governing you, what that starts to happen in your life is that you start to get pulled off into this ditch, into this mud of worry, and you're so anxious, and you're afflicted and stricken by this thing, and what it'll also do, and not only will it make you kind of a hot mess, respectfully, it also will drag you off into this ditch of inactivity. Like I'm not bashing Christians when I say this, but I've heard people say Christians say, "Oh, I can't X, Y, Z because I'm just I'm just afflicted by this thing right now. I just can't do anything. I I can't. I just I'm sitting in my house. I'm not praying. I'm not reading the Word. I'm not. I'm not doing anything because I'm just stricken by my issue." Jesus says, "I don't want your heart to be troubled in that. It's not just that you're not trusting God. It's not just that you're a hot mess and it's not very fun and you're miserable." it's also that you're not doing much in for the kingdom. And so when Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, one more thing about this and we'll roll on. I find it interesting that he says, let not. In other words, that implies that at least to some degree, there's a choice that we can make here. You can let or you can let not your heart be troubled. And I'm not saying that you can always control your circumstances and the things that happen to you. You certainly can't just snap your fingers and control the whole movement of the world and suddenly global warming will stop. But you can choose how you respond. You can choose what you focus on. You can choose what you dwell on. You can choose to involve the Lord or not. You see what I'm saying? I know I'm talking to somebody. So what we're going to see in the rest of our text, we're filtering it through this command to not let our heart be troubled. We have a list of five things that we can do to prevent this in our lives. Five things you can do to guard against your heart being troubled in this way that Jesus is warning us against. Can you handle five things? We're doing it anyway. All right. The first one is this. How can I keep my heart from being troubled? The first thing you can do is you can choose to take an eternal perspective. Somebody say eternal perspective. The, the big famous verse In John chapter 14, in this beginning part, is verse 6, where Jesus says that I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. One of my all-time favorites, huge verse. And you'll notice at the beginning of it, Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the way. And then you look at these other couple verses up here, verses 2 and 3. Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. Those are scriptures that are talking about eternity, eternal things. You need to understand today, whether you're a Christian or not, life is eternal, One way or another, your life, human life is eternal. It lasts forever in some capacity. The Bible says that we were made by God and for God and he has placed eternity in the human heart. And if you're not a Christian, I wanna quickly sidebar onto you for a second. We love you. My intent is not to bash something over your head and I wanna honor you in the journey that you're on, but you do need to know that your life, whether or not you have any regard or thought for God, your life is eternal and the destination that you're currently on, apart from Jesus, is not eternal life, but eternal death. You just need to know that. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we were made to be in this relationship with God, but we have all sinned. Raise your hand if you've sinned in the house today, yes? Yes, that would be all of us. The Bible says that our sin separates us from God. It cuts off the possibility of that relationship, that closeness. And it actually leads to death. The wages of sin is death. So if nothing is done, if no intervention or steps are taken, you are on track in and of yourself marching straight toward death. Paying for your sin yourself. And the Bible says that hell is a real place. You just need to know that. It always boggles my mind when some Christians say it isn't. It's very clearly in the scriptures that it is. Hell is a real place. And in and of ourselves, again, that's the destination we're all destined for apart from Jesus. So if you're not a Christian, you need to understand. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He gave his life on a cross. See the but with the wages of sin is death. Something's got to die for sin. Jesus died so he could pay for your sin so that you don't have to pay for it yourself. And when Jesus died, he was buried in the ground, but he actually rose from the grave. You need to know that today. Jesus here, here he is. Here's this massive, grand, greatest problem of ours, death that comes for us all. Jesus overcomes the grave. He defeats death. He is better. He is greater. And now what he's doing is he has ascended into heaven. He's there right now, ruling and reigning, sitting on a throne. He's the everlasting God. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And he's putting the ball in your court to say, wow, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved and only Jesus can save me. He is offering every person an invitation to repent of their sin. That means I'm going this way. I'm living my life, doing my thing, but I'm laying that aside. I'm renouncing that. I'm turning away and I'm turning to Jesus. He's inviting every one of us to trust in him, to surrender ourselves to him for the forgiveness of our sins. And when you do that, the Bible says you are saved. You are born again. You are made new. And what happens? is you go from this state of you're heading toward this eternal destruction and hell and God actually snatches you out of that and he says, actually, you're now a citizen of heaven. Christians in the house, is that good news today? Yes, so that's the story. That's where we're at. If you're not a Christian, you need to know Jesus. And if you wanna know more, come and see us later. I'll hang around up here at the front all afternoon if you wanna talk about Jesus, man, I'm telling you. So, okay, okay unsidebarring. Most of us in the room are Christians. Like I just said, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, the word says that we are bound for eternal life in him. And actually what it's saying here is that Jesus is preparing a place for you right now. He's the way, right? You're not going to go to heaven because you're so great, because your church attendance is so perfect, because you I don't know, got up and said something at the front today. Like you're not going to heaven for any of those reasons. It's because of your faith in the one who is the way to heaven. That's Jesus. He is going to prepare a place for you right now. Part of the reason that you're still here on this earth, your room isn't ready yet. Isn't that cool? He's still got stuff for you to do here. But Jesus is going to prepare this place for you. You know what that means, Christian? It means that this world is not your home. Like, here's where I'm going with this. We get an issue, we get discouraged, we start to maybe go down this road. We gotta remember, this is, this is what's gonna happen to us in this life, because we don't belong here. We're just passing through, right? And this place that Jesus is preparing for us, if you read in the book of Revelation chapter 21, it says that it's a place where all is made new. How much is made new? All. all. There's no more sickness, There's no more pain. There's no more unrighteousness. There's no more suffering. There's no more evil. There's no more death. There's no more affliction. That is the place where Jesus is preparing a place for you. That's what it's like there. That's the promise that's awaiting all of us as Christians. Jesus, verse 3, he's coming again. How many of you know he's coming again? Jesus is coming again, and when he comes again, he's going to snatch you up and take you with him to be where he's at. Is that cool? And see, you have to understand, when you go where he's taking you, when your life here is over, yeah, it's great that there's no more sickness and everything's cool there and The temperature's probably always just right and all that stuff. That's all really good. Those are all blessings of heaven that we look forward to. But the very best part about it, look at the very last few words in that text. It's that where I am, you may be also. All that other stuff's great, but the reason heaven is gonna be so good is because Jesus is there and we get to be with him forever. That's good news. Somebody amen there, please. Yes. Now, Here's the point. Here's where I'm going with this. When you are troubled in this life, you need to set your sights on your eternal life. You need to remember this world is not my home. This is not my final destination. This will not have the final say over me because Jesus is preparing a place for me. I'm not really like a runner per se. I like to run, I do. Th- if I put it this way, if I went to the gym, I would not be lifting the weights. As you can tell, I'm more like the treadmill kind of guy. But yeah, that was funny. Thank you. <laughs> now, as a runner, some of you guys probably run much more seriously than I do. But in my experience, when you run, you're just out running somewhere. If you don't have a destination in mind, you're just running, and you don't know for how long or for where you're going. You're going to go for a little while, and eventually, you're going to get discouraged. You're going to get winded, and you're going to say. Where am I even going? Why am I even doing this? What's the point? Why? Why? What? But if you're running and you say, I'm really tired, but all I have to do is make it to that sign up there or that turn or that landmark. And after that, I only have to go another little ways and there's gonna be this other landmark. When you kind of break it up in your mind like that, it literally changes the psychology of your running. And it literally, it, it's a mental thing. And it's now well, I can get to there. I don't know if I could run from here to St. Stephen, but like I can get to there. And after that, I can get over there. And then I can get over there. It's the very same thing in this race that we call life. If you remember where you're going and you remember how you're getting there, it's gonna put your issues in perspective, an eternal perspective. If your heart is troubled and you're starting to do this, you need to remember your eternal perspective that Jesus is preparing a place for you, and you're gonna go there one day. Is that good news so far? That was for somebody. I don't know who that was for, but you're welcome. On behalf of the Lord, uh, you're welcome. Next thing, when you got an issue to guard against your heart being troubled, you gotta remember the truth. Somebody say "The the truth. Jesus says in that famous verse in here, in verse six, I am the way and the truth. Notice in there, he doesn't say I speak the truth, though he does. Jesus says, I am the truth. Okay, we'll come back to that. You guys know how it works, though, when you have an issue. You're discouraged about something. You're starting to kind of tip over into this a little bit. What Satan is gonna do, remember we talked about him a couple weeks ago? He's trying to bring us down, steal, kill, destroy, the whole thing, discourage, accuse, the whole, the whole gamut. What Satan is gonna do is he's gonna start to try to plant seeds in your mind. He's going to plant seeds. He's going to say things to you, especially when you're in an issue and you're vulnerable. He's going to say things to you like this is all you're ever going to amount to. He's going to say things. You're a loser. You're good for nothing. He's going to say nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. This issue that you're having, it's never going to get better. It's never going to get fixed. Don't even try. You might as well give up. Anybody ever heard those lines in their life before? You can be honest. It's okay. I have. Because if Satan can plant those seeds in your mind, this is way more likely to happen. You're gonna get discouraged. You're gonna get dragged off into the ditch. And that just compounds. You just spiral further. But again, like we said, Jesus is the truth. Real truth, whatever it is, is embodied by Jesus Christ. It proceeds from Jesus Christ. So I don't want to like steal the thunder for the Take the Sword seminar on Saturday coming up. I'm sure we're going to go this route, so let me keep it short. When you're having an issue, you need to remember who the truth is and what the truth is. It's Jesus and what he says. It's not what the world says. It's not what your feelings tell you. It's not even what your experience tells you. It's who is Jesus. See here, here's, I want to give you a little three-point simple thing you can do. A little three things. When you're struggling in an issue, you can ask yourself, Who is Jesus? Who is He? Who does He say that He is over this issue? You can ask yourself, who does Jesus say that I am?" Satan will come along, You're, you're unloved, you're this, you're a loser, you're an idiot. Well, who does Jesus say you are? And the third thing that you can do is you can ask, what is Jesus telling me to do in this? What does his word lead me to? What's his will for me in this? You're having an issue. Who does God say he is? He's the everlasting God. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He holds the universe in the hollow of his hand, he knows the beginning, the middle, the end. He is the beginning and the end. He sees you. What what does God say about me? If you're a Christian, he says you're one of his children. You're dearly loved by him, that he's preparing a place for you, that he's covering you, that he'll never leave you or forsake you, right? Do we think like this when we're having an issue? Sometimes we don't. What does Jesus tell me to do? Well, he tells me to be strong and courageous. He tells me to pursue him, to abide in him, to walk with him, to trust in him. When we think that way, it's gonna help us avoid this. This isn't where we wanna go. You have gotta remember the truth. I'm gonna save the rest of that for next Saturday. You're welcome. You're welcome. I got you. Third thing we can do to guard ourselves against our hearts being troubled like this we can abide with Jesus. Somebody say abide. That word abide means to remain with, to stay with, to camp out with, to walk with and be close to. That's what abiding means. When you're having an issue, don't answer this out loud, but where do you go? Where do you turn? A lot of people in the world, they just look to their own devices when they're having an issue. Well, I'm having this struggle, so I'm going to double down on my grit and drive and determination, and I'll just suck it up and power through it. That's good for maybe this far. Some people look to their resources. I'm struggling, but at least I got my money. At least I got my nice car. At least I got my big house. That's not good enough. Some people turn to entertainment. They just try to numb their mind with, I'll watch Netflix for 10 hours today and not even have to turn my brain on. I'll just sit here and watch the TV and I'll escape my problem. Some people turn to substances or pornography or they eat more than they should eat, or whatever the case may be. None of those things are good enough. None of those things actually help you deal with your issue, by the way. You're just trying to push it under the rug. And if I'm gonna be honest, I'm not Christian bashing here again, but sometimes we Christians say, well, I'm having an issue, and I know Jesus is the answer, but then we go out and we respond just like anybody else would. That's totally unhelpful. Totally unhelpful. I will say it. You know it to be true. Jesus is the answer. Whatever your issue is, Jesus is the answer. You look here on this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the what? The life. Again, notice he doesn't say, he doesn't say, I'm a life. I'm one option of many viable ones. He says, I'm the life. It's exclusive. And he doesn't say, I give life even. He says, I am the life. Very important that you pay attention to that specific language here. So whatever true life is, it's some sort of experience. It's some sort of substance thing. It's not just a theory or a metaphor. Whatever it is, it's discovered and it's realized in Jesus Christ. Okay, you with me so far? Stay with me on this. I've got a few verses to hammer out. We'll, we'll put this all together. What does it mean to truly live then? Look at verse 10 and 11 in our text. Jesus says, "I am in the Father." Remember, Jesus is the life. He says, "I am in the Father; the Father is in me." I don't speak on my authority, but His authority. Verse eleven, He says again, "I am in the Father, and He is in me." What He's trying to remind us is, He's God. Okay, He's God. This life, right? He got. You remember that. Hold on to that. Verse seven. He says, if you have known me, you know my Father also. You do know him. You have seen him. That word know and known, that's relationship language. It's not just know about God. It's to know him personally, deeply, intimately, relationship, okay? Matter of fact, there's another place. We're gonna get to this in a number of weeks. John 17, three, Jesus says, this is eternal life. This is true life. This is what it's all about. It's that you know God that you have a relationship with God. So what I'm saying here, what, here's where I'm going. The substance of true life, you really wanna live in this life, the substance of true life is abiding close in relationship with Jesus, okay? Do you see how we just put all that together? It's all about Jesus. And here's the mistake that some people make. They treat Jesus like he's like a match, you know how it is with a match? I got a wood furnace in my house. I light a match every morning, not in the summer. This time of year, I do. To get the fire started, you get all your materials in, you strike a match, you light the paper, you throw the match away. And then the fire does its work, right? And you don't need the match anymore. Some people view Jesus that way. Oh yeah, okay, I'll use him, I'll use him to get saved Right? I'll accept his grace. Cool. Thanks, Jesus. Now I'm good. Now I don't need you anymore. You just go over this way. We're done here. Well, that's totally foolish because real life, true life is actually abiding with Jesus. See, we don't need to treat Jesus like he's the match that starts the fire. Jesus is actually the fire itself that warms the whole house. You want to get close to that to stay warm. Amen? Especially this time of year, yes. So, we're talking about a relationship with Jesus. And like any relationship, it takes work. You've gotta put effort into it. You don't just assume it, you gotta pursue it. You gotta work for it. It's built on time spent together and trust, right? Speaking of the word trust, you see verse one right here? Believe in God. Jesus says, believe also in me. That word believe can translate to the word that we know as entrust, right? It's all there. It's relational language. Jesus wants us to be close in relationship with him. Please don't answer this out loud, but how's that going in your life? How's your relationship with Jesus? Are you seeking him? Are you serving him? Are you walking with him? Are you talking to him? Are you going after him? Are you, are you picking up your cross and following after him? That's the whole thing. That's the whole deal. That's the meat. That's the substance of this life. Now, here's where I'm going with this. We're talking about this. We're talking about our heart being troubled. Here's what some people do. Some people say, okay, I gotta get close to Jesus. If I want to avoid this happening, I gotta be close to Jesus. So so what I'll do is I'll seek after him for a while until he gives me that thing that I need, until maybe he relieves my issue a little bit, and then I don't need him anymore. Some people treat Jesus like he's a vending machine. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I need something. So I'll walk down to the vending machine, and I'll get close to it. I'll get as close as I need to, right within arm's reach, and I'll put some investment into that, And I'll press the button, and out will come what I need, and now I have it, so I'll leave and I'll go away, and I'll leave the vending machine tucked over there in the corner out of sight, and I'll go maybe back there again if I need something again. That's not the point of this walk with Jesus, by the way. We've got to pursue him just for who he is, not just for what he can do for us, amen? So, so, he says this. This is what Philip does. If you go to the next slide, please. This is what Philip does. He says, he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Just give me a sign, Jesus. Just do something for me. And look what Jesus immediately rebukes him and says, have I been with you so long, and you still do not what? Know me. Relationship. I've been with you all this time, and you still don't get it, he says. That is the point. It's the relationship. And here's just, I guess it's ironic, When you make it your business to pursue Jesus just to be with him, just to sit at his feet because he is beautiful, because he is the treasure in this world, because he is the substance of true life itself, the blessings are going to come after that, right? You, You read in places like in Psalm, I think it's chapter 16, it says, in his presence there is fullness of joy. Right, that comes just because you're in his presence and then the blessing comes out of that. Another place it says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You wanna know what freedom is? Well, you gotta get close to God, right? And there's lots of other things. The God of peace, he's gonna keep us in perfect peace. We read that earlier. But abiding is the first priority. It starts with just being with him and then the blessings will come. Here's my point that I'm trying to make. When your heart is starting to go this route, you've got an issue, you're starting to dwell on it, it's starting to rule over you, and you're finding yourself that God is just removed from that, from that equation altogether, what you need to do is you need to get close to Jesus. You need to spend time with Jesus because he is actually the source of life itself and the meaning of life itself. Does that make sense? He might not snap his fingers and change your issue right away. And I'm not trying to downplay your issue at all. But in a sense, your issue is gonna seem like, you know what, this isn't as bad and as colossal and as monumental as I thought, because you know what, even if, even if I've got this issue, I've got Jesus in my life, and that's what matters. Make sense? Two more things to go. To guard against our heart being troubled like this, what you can do is you can put your hands to kingdom work. Put the hands to work. Verse 12 is up here. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works. Somebody say the works. works. That I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. He's talking about doing the works of God, ministry, works of service, all that stuff. Here's, again, like I said earlier, part of what Satan is trying to do, he's trying to get you into this state, which is gonna result in you pulling yourself off the road, off the playing field, into the ditch of inactivity. I can't give, I can't serve, I can't do ministry, I can't whatever, because I've got this issue and it's just totally taken hold of me. And the result is Christians, not bashing, who go weeks, months, years even on the sideline waiting, I don't know, for their issue to go away, I guess. And I'm not saying, oh, you can never have a break. I'm not saying, oh, you have to be, if you're in a ministry right now, you're locked into it for life. That's not what I'm saying at all, but I'm saying there's people that literally will self-disqualify from doing anything because of the way they feel and because of the circumstances in their life because their heart is troubled so badly. And, and Satan loves us to be in that place. You can't do anything. You've got nothing to give. You've got nothing to contribute. Oh yeah, I guess I don't. I'll just sit here. He loves it when we're there. And our flesh loves that too, by the way, because we're fine with just taking our flesh, right? Yeah, people should serve me and minister to me and pay attention to me and honor me. But what God is saying, he says, I have things for you to do. Christian, listen to me. God has things for you to do, for you. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the elder's job. You have things to do that might specifically be for you to do. Now, Jesus Jesus' desire for us to do these works, you might say, what does that have to do with, with my heart being troubled? Well, in my experience, what can happen is if when you're, when you're doing this and you're really laser focused in on your issue, it seems like it's right here, right in front of you. There's a huge mountain right in front of you. Anybody know what that feels like? And I don't mean to oversimplify, but I've seen this to be true. When you choose to put your hands to the work of the kingdom, when you choose to say, yeah, I've got this issue, but you know what? There's still work for me to do. I've got to serve. There's, the gospel's got to get out. There's discipling that needs to be done. There's needs that need to be met. I want to be a positive contributor even in spite of my issues. Your issue might not go away, but your perspective on your issue is going to change. When you step out to serve somebody else and to serve the Lord... Instead of your issue seeming like Mount Everest right in front of your face, it's not gonna seem quite as big. And I'm downplaying your issue. Your issue could be very dire and serious. But when you choose to put your hands to the work of the kingdom, you're gonna look at it differently. One one interesting thing about this verse, by the way, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. You can kind of gloss over that and you go, wait a minute, Jesus said we're gonna do greater works than he did? What, like, is that saying we're like bigger and better than Jesus? No, it's not, sorry to burst your bubble. What that means though, see what he says? He says, it's gonna happen because I'm going to the Father, right, Jesus' time on earth came to an end. He left, he's not here in body as a human being right now as he was, but his people are, the church is. And it's not just our church on this corner. It's not just the churches in this neighborhood of St. John. It's not just the churches in our city and in our province or our country. This is a worldwide thing. The global church. And when everybody is taking on this initiative to put their hands to work, look at the global impact we can have. Ministry happening literally all across the globe. People using their gifts, contributing, serving, sharing, discipling, doing all of this. We're talking about a wide impact across generations. That's what Jesus means about greater works. And this was 2,000 years ago. And this has been going on since and will go on until Jesus comes back. Here's what I want to say don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want, like God has given you gifts. God has given you resources. He's given you talents to use and you get to use them for his glory and his kingdom and the good of others. Man, that's what I want to do. I hope that you want that in your life as well. So whatever your issue is and no matter how Satan might be trying to get you into this, serve, put your hands to work and see what God does. That's what I'm saying. Make sense? Final one, number five. Number five to guard your heart against this from happening, you can pray. You can pray. I wanted to say, pray you moron. But I didn't think that would be very encouraging. So good thing I didn't say it, right? Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus says. This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We're talking about prayer. And no, let's just clear this up right away. What he's not saying is, oh, I can ask for anything, for any reason, with any motivation, and as long as I tack on the phrase in Jesus' name at the end, I'll get it, right? I found a loophole. I found my genie in the bottle. Eh, not what he means, Okay. The word in my name is really important, actually. What In my name is another way of saying, um, oh, let me put it this way. If you were working for a company and they sent you somewhere to another province you would be going there in the name of the company, on behalf of the company, and you'd be going to do the will of the company. My boss told me I'm going to make this sale or do this project or whatever. You're not there just for your own devices. You're there on behalf of the company. Well, what Jesus is saying is if you ask anything in my name, according to my will, that's the stuff I'm gonna answer. If you ask for something that's not in line with God's will for you, Or it's not part of God's heart, or it's just something stupid and will be bad for you, he's probably gonna go ahead and not answer that prayer in the way that you're asking him for it, okay? Just to burst that little bubble for you a little bit. But look at the formula that's up here. If we pray, if we ask, and it's in line with God's will, he'll answer, he'll do it. I'm not a math guy. But that's a pretty clear formula for me, right? Yet here we go, and a lot of times we don't even ask. We don't pray. It says in the book of James, you have not because you ask not. And I want to tell you something. That's tragic. I don't want the reason why I don't have something the Lord has for me, or I get into this and I can't seem to get out of it. I don't want the reason for that to be just because I didn't ask for it. That's that's so tragic. It's such an easy thing to do. And it actually says, also in the book of James, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I'm not saying y'all are perfect, but I'm saying if you're a Christian, you are called righteous in the sight of God. And as we pursue his righteousness more and more, that's totally connected to God answering our prayers. If your prayer is over an issue that you're having, It's all here. You know what I'm saying? So if you want your situation to change, I'm not saying snap your fingers and it shall be done just as you're asking for immediately because you said in Jesus' name. But I'm saying if you want your situation to change, if you want your issue to shift, if you want your heart to be encouraged, you gotta ask. Start there. Pray about it. And if God doesn't immediately, he could, he might. You pray and boom, he answers, awesome. Awesome. But if God doesn't answer right away, press in, keep pursuing, keep asking. And God, you know what? He might not change your situation the way that you think you want him to, but I guarantee he's gonna do a work in you through it as you're praying. Make sense? Let's wrap this up then. Jesus does not want our hearts to be troubled like this. Doesn't want this in our lives. And so to safeguard Against this, we can choose in our to take an eternal perspective. We can choose to remember the truth. We can choose to abide, to press in in our relationship with Jesus. We can put our hands to kingdom work and we can pray in bracket, you moron. It's in brackets. I love you guys, I love you. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And if you want to know the real power, if you want to know the real substance, it's in him. So put him, put him first in your life. Do these things and see what he does. See what he does with regard to this. See what he does in your life. Capish.